0: Okay, uh, good afternoon and good morning, everybody. My name is Paul Cuomo. Uh, I, this is the Foundational Sales Podcast where our objective is to get those people in the sales industry to, to think. And today we have a very interesting guest, someone I've known for, for many, many years. His name is uh, Mike uh, Orshlin. He is the Founder and Chief Executive Officer at eq growth solutions and he's someone that uh, i worked with uh for um for several years uh back when i was selling uh medical devices and someone who i really looked up to for uh for guidance and was always really really impressed with his with his work ethic and kind of how he motivated his team and um and really uh you know the direction that he was kind of pointing us toward um in um in in the company so uh, without further ado, Mike, how are you?
1: Well, uh, I'm good. Thank you. I, I, somehow clicked out for a second, so I apologize. I missed but I know you were doing a great job introducing me. Thank you very much. You probably said something that can't possibly be true. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I'm really no. Great. I, you know, we relocated through the pandemic to Tampa, Florida, uh, from Chicago and, uh, have had a wonderful winter down here, which was just gorgeous. And uh, I've been staying busy and starting up a new business, and it's so great to spend some time with with you and uh, making sure that we make a good podcast here for the folks that that will be listening to in the future.
0: Cool, cool. No, I re- really appreciate that. So, so Mike, I always like my first question. You know, what's what's your claim to fame? Tell tell the audience about uh, about yourself.
1: So yes, yeah, so, yeah, I would. <laughs> There you go. That's, there's, I have no fame. That's not, that's, that's not possible. So that's an in, in irrelevant question. Now, I, honestly, um, the one thing that, that I, I feel as if, we, if you said as a claim to fame is um, I've always tried to be a servant leader. Uh, I, I've always wanted uh, the teams of people that I've had the honor to work with, um, you know, whether it was a region manager or with American Hospital Supply or baxter or cardinal or gm of a business um, i always wanted to make sure that that, uh, that that tried my best to make sure that people that the time we had together was hopefully at the top two or three of the, their career experiences in one achieving results and two having fun um my my approach is is uh i guess i've had to try to make a brand or statement it would be um gross growth or growth oriented of values-based and a purpose-driven business leader who just loves to drive change and make sure that my team and i are having a lot of fun while we're driving results Um, that's that's hard to do sometimes in in today's business world but it's really something that i've tried to um, just to make sure work is is a hobby for me as much as work so i want it to be to be fun so you know being a part of these companies that i've been very lucky to be a part of over the years even back to the 80s um i was i was given opportunities to step into roles where the, the businesses were underperforming and it forced me to learn um and and develop really de- uh, critical thinking skills uh, t- being tough-minded about you know making tough decisions being very open with people about their Performance, uh, whether it's 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 not on par or where the, whether it's great, and you know recognizing folks for the, the accomplishments accomplishments that they that they achieve. Um, there was an old term called managing by walking around, and it was driven by um, I think it was in search of excellence that you're going to find you're going to find a lot of information if you walk around and listen to what people have to say. On the front line, whether it's salespeople, customer service reps, uh, distribution employees, truck drivers, uh, these folks gave me all kinds of insight into what was going on in the businesses, and I used that, along with you know some fairly good intuition, t- to make uh, make sure I, I was making the right decisions to take take businesses and help them become high performing. I, I also I can't say it was just me because was I had a lot of mentoring and coaching. And American Hospital Supply and Baxter and others gave me so many opportunities to grow, learn, and develop. And I took every opportunity to, to take advantage of that.
0: Cool. Cool. Why don't you go a little bit more detail in, in detail about your, your career path? How did you get started in, in sales? Yep. So I, uh, it's funny. I did not want to be in sales. I
1: came out of college and said, I don't want to be in sales. Because I don't want to be a, a used car salesman. That's what I thought. This is back in 1980, by the way, so it wasn't yeah. recent. Yeah. Um, but I got a chance to to join American Hospital Supply, which was the largest distributor and a manufacturer in the in the um, you know hospital distribution industry in Kansas City, Missouri, my hometown. And I started in a management understudy position, and uh, so I could learn the business, and then. Took a role, uh, I would say more marketing than sales, but it was a. Uh, um, w- it was working with the field sales team a lot with customers a lot, and I found it to be very natural that my personality. You know, we were selling in essence or or marketing an electronic order entry system called ASAP. ASAP. Okay. So the opportunity, the, the American said, "Hey, come to the company, and if you're successful." early on you'll you'll move your your family and and yourself three or four times in in a five-year period so it was a upper route opportunity and it was like okay it it sounds interesting (laughs) because i hadn't traveled much as a kid so i took the took the role and did you move nine times into my first 11 years with american hospital supply which was bought by baxter international uh, in 1985, so it became Baxter Hospital Supply, but the company stayed pretty much the same. Um, I, in these nine moves in 11 years, you know, very rapidly. So from 23 to 34, I was given larger and larger opportunities to to step into roles where company the businesses weren't always doing so well, and be able to um, you know use what I just talked about is to look at the business, listen to what people say. I mean, the answers really are in the folks that are closest to the customer, which is a, a sales organization. Um, so I took this management understudy position, and then the one thing they said, okay, what do you want to do? You can go into operations, you can go into sales, and I said, no, I want to go into sales. Um, I, I want to be close to the customer because that's where the rubber meets the road, and and that's where the answers are. And I've used that philosophy for years. Not not unlike we were together, Paul. I mean, I was listening to you. Asking you questions, and you taught me so much about New York City and and the customers and and things that we weren't doing right. And and I'm you know very lucky to have two ears and one mouth, <laughs> so I can I can listen more than I than I uh, than I speak. So my career has been fantastic. You know I was I was called 22 years with American Baxter Allegiance Cardinal. I left to um, to join a hearing aid manufacturer, Swiss based, and and I was the U.S. Um, operations CEO, which was a great experience. It was all about positioning innovative new products to audiologists and hearing instrument specialists to deliver value to the customers who had hearing loss. You know, that's been a big part. There's a purpose in every business. And so I've tried my best to lead with the purpose. It's about helping people with hearing loss rather than making money. You got to make money. You got to be successful. Yeah. That's more how you keep score. So- and then I joined Patterson Medical, and that's where you and I met each other.
0: Yeah, no, that's one of the things that I I have to say that I was very impressed that you that day that we co-wrote together in the in the middle of uh, Manhattan. And <laughs> well, hey, listen, I'm co- I'm co-writing with the with the CEO, so he must have heard some good things about me. But so obviously there was a little bit of of being nervous, but it, it's 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 really a day that I I'm not going to forget because you were, you you really you really were you were out with me you were asking questions we we had a great time and i'm telling you, within like five minutes i was just you know being myself and 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 you saw what what it was like and that's that's okay. kind of one of the reasons why we're talking today so that was hey. pretty well cool. you
1: know what it's a it's a compliment that, that I, I made you comfortable yeah um, look I'm a, I'm a country boy from kansas city missouri i'm i ain't no you know big big time ceo I, you know I, I think i've got I've, I've learned a lot from a lot of people and i'm not a bad leader but when you can work with people like you paul it makes me look really good dude <laughs> i
0: really appreciate that well you just mentioned that you you do look up to people i mean who who did you look up to as a as a mentor or coach and is there is there someone maybe an author maybe another business leader maybe you can tell us a little bit about that sure.
1: But uh, um, there was a guy named Monty. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Um, there was a gentleman who was the VP of Sales, uh, a University of Iowa graduate, a wrestler, about five two, and two hundred and ten pounds. VP of Sales, just a you know a very charismatic, um, who took us through leadership courses. Now he had contracted uh, ALS. You mm-hmm. he, he you talk about. I mean, I still have T-shirts that have his name on it. So because there was a walk for Monty Briner, uh, he was so tr- strong, tough, tough-minded, strong from a spiritual standpoint, and and at the core, he believed in customers and he believed in the sales organization. Um, he he taught me so many things as a young sales manager, region manager that I would have never learned if he didn't bring, didn't bring those things to. To us, it wasn't just me. We'd come in for a sales training course and and he, he would take it. It would be the most entertaining because like watching, you know, Johnny Carson back in the day, but, you know, he had stories, he had jokes and he had serious stories to tell. So Monty was, was one I that I, he was never a, a direct mentor, but he he was so inspiring in his communication over the probably four or five years he was the VP of sales. He, he did believe because of disability. But his, his tough mindedness and heart, he committed, he would see his daughter through her high school graduation, which was like 12 or 14 years later, he, he achieved that. Um, he was in bad shape. But he saw his daughter graduate from high school, which is to me just, you know, that's tough. You are a tough human being that's got purpose. So I, I believe deeply in Monty Briner. There was a gentleman named was in the early 90s when I moved to the g- general office, Darnell Martin. Darnell took over for a couple of people that were my mentors. I didn't know Darnell very well. Uh, big, tall, African-American, 6'7", um, just charisma. And I worked for him for about 12 or 14 months. He took me under his wing and I didn't know I had moved to Chicago, didn't know what I was doing, why I did that. Didn't know the job, had a marketing and purchasing. And he just said, Mike, I'll help you. <laughs> I, I promise you I will help you. And he did. He took me through some tough times. So I look up to both those guys as uh during my career were very, very in- inspirational and instrumental to the style of leadership that, that I have, and I've stolen all of that, Paul, <laughs> from from Monty, from Darnell, from Skip Dalrymple, from all these great executives who um, I watched them lead people, and then just took their styles and made them into mine. That's interesting.
0: Now, on the CEO level, level, are are there other uh, are there CEOs that maybe? Either you worked for, or that you befriended in your career, that influenced you in any way.
1: You know, there's there's several. I, I don't want to go on and on, but I'll, I'll name a couple of them. Mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, my brother, who was was 17 years older than me, ran his own truck line, started it, ran it, and and he was a um, an ins- inspiration to me um, after my after our father had passed away. And, uh, you know, instrumental to, to me being able to try to balance more, uh, but also to lead. He was truly a leader of people. Um, and then uh, my brother-in-law, who started a, a, a small company, uh, a plastics importer, after working for Monsanto for 15 years. And he moved to California and they started up a business. Um, just, they're just, and they're family, so that's probably part of it. Uh, I was out to see my brother-in-law two weeks ago and we talked business for three or four days. He's retired, but he still has a passion for business. So, you know, those guys especially, um, my A-CEO, so I was the CEO of Phonak, the hearing aid manufacturer, U.S. I worked for the global CEO of Sonova Holdings, a gentleman named Dr. Valentin Shapiro one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life. Um, after a couple of years, we had gotten the business turned around and was growing. We were you know, on the way to be the leader in the US market. And I asked him, not once, but probably 50 times, what else can I do to help us grow? And his one comment to me was, sell more hearing aids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know, Valentin. I know, but what else can I do, Mike? Sell more hearing aids, and what he was saying, what well, at first it frustrated me, but what he was saying was, you know what to do, just keep. I trust you. Do do what you're doing, and just do more of it. Uh, he was a hands-off. Uh, said you have the authority to do what you need to do, and you talk about you know it was a two and a half billion dollar company, but the the um, you know very different than the Cardinal Health or American Hospital Supplies. I was you know. Five thousand miles away from my boss, which is a really good thing sometimes. (laughs) So, um, but Valentine was he—he gave me true autonomy and authority to do what I needed to do, and he did it by saying, "Sell more hearing aids." That was all the the direction he gave me. But you know, I finally figured it out. Great folks like Scott Anderson, the CEO of Patterson Companies, when I joined, you know, our division medical. And what he said to me when I joined, he says, you gotta get the business to grow organically. We've spent a lot of money acquiring companies. And and you know, he, he basically said, You know what to do, just go do it. Because he looked at my resume and said, You've done this stuff before, Mike, do it. How do you want me to communicate with you? He said, Send me an email on Saturday morning. Okay, so that's what I did.
0: Scott was a really nice guy. Great. He's a really nice guy.
1: <laughs> yes, and a great golfer now.
0: <laughs> he's a really nice guy I've spoken I've, I've met him great. yeah oh yeah great guy there's,
1: there's a I'll, I'll say a kid
0: um, I'm in my early 60s but a young
1: CEO of a company in the physical therapy distribution um, also a massage therapy so script companies you know them sure um, Luke Massery is a is the, is the new CEO of a probably eight nine months ago I got a chance to to meet him on, on a call, and and then we've had two or three calls since then. I respect the heck out of him. He's a young guy who's got good experience, but stepped into the CEO role of a really tough situation. And he hasn't he has not been afraid to show vulnerability, at least to me. I probably does to his team, and to me that that that's a really high a uh, mark around the quality of a leader that says. Hey, it's not it's not going well as it should be going. Um, and asked me questions, and I asked him questions. Is, you know, but but he's got the confidence he'll get through it. And it just it, it, it kind of honored me that he was willing to talk to me. One and two to show some vulnerability. Vulnerability, and I think that I think that's a key element of of humility that leaders have to have to show. So Luke is one that I think of, and I've offered to help him any number of times. And maybe the last one, uh, he's a big, big company guy, Mike Kaufman, the CEO of Cardinal Health. Mike and I worked very closely together when I was at Cardinal the last three or four years. I reported to him when they moved the medical business to to Ohio. I left at that point and went to Phonak. We had a great relationship. I always respected him, and I knew he had big potential, and Cardinal had big plans for him and what i see him doing today as the ceo is he is truly um, passionate about what cardinals doing about the customers and about what's happening internally both in the company and also in america and he's trying to change and he will change the culture to make it more accepting of, of you know diversity and and uh, the, the things that are that you know what is social justice the things that have we have to you know bring to the forefront of our country To bring us together again to be the United States of America and Mike is is a a good human being and I respect him and care for him so
0: he he made a big impact on my career as well cool cool that's that's really good to know now I know that during your career you were you had some big challenges at some of the organizations you you joined and I wanted to give the audience just a snapshot as to what, what were some of those big challenges and, you know, just not only at the companies, but maybe in your career and how did you get through them?
1: Uh, I think I got through most of them and some I didn't.
0: <laughs> but, but uh Being passionate with yourself. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair.
1: Yeah. I, uh, uh, the, the biggest challenge that I ever faced because I, and, and most of the time it's because you, you just what what is called uh, conscious incompetence? You know that you don't know. I know what I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Join Patterson Medical. Scott says, "Grow the business, and we'll either keep it and invest in it, or we're yeah. going to sell it, and it's probably yeah. going to pro- private equity." I said, "All right, that's fine." Um, I took the role. We he the board decided to sell the company, um, and, and at that point in the fall of two thousand. 14, beginning to prepare to, to sell a company the size of Patterson Medical um, it was a second job <laughs> truly you know you're supposed to be leading the company and, and driving change and and then you, you're also trying to sell the company confidentially until it came out in, in early May of, of 15 but one of the hardest things because I, I think you know I'll, I'll try to summarize you you want to be honest with your with your team. We had, we had 1200 employees, you know, probably well around the world, Australia, the UK, France, Belgium, New Zealand, US, Canada, right? So you want to tell the truth. And, and I, I, I believe, I know I did, I told the truth, even when some of the questions that were asked of me, you know, gosh, you're gone a lot. Why? Why are you in New York City? Well, I answer the question, we we're talking to investors. It's true. We we're also selling the company. And you know, it I I tried to be I, and I was very honest, uh, but I answered the questions that, that that people were asking. And it was just difficult because we 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 sold the company began to carve it out of Pat Patterson companies, which I didn't ever I don't know how to do that, but now I do. So I look back and say, wow, what a great experience I had. It was tough, but but I survived. Uh, we also bought our largest manufacturing partner at the same time. <laughs> so yeah. It was too much change, and so the, the beauty of that is it's given me some really deep insights into um, how private equity works. It's given me great insights into um, how the dynamics of private equity work within a corporate setting and a corporate culture. Um, so I, th- that was super helpful, and you know I used I used a lot of colleagues and friends, ask them a lot of questions. Say help help me, guys. I don't know how to do this. What should I do? And they were my friends and colleagues were just super, super supportive. Uh, the second biggest is the my final five years at at back at, Car- at uh at Baxter, so call it ninety through ninety five. Um, we we restructured the business every fourteen months, so I had five senior leadership positions in a six or seven year period. Um, I was in my early thirties, so. You know, our family moved to Chicago. I said, okay, I'm done moving. Um, it's been nine, nine moves, 11 years. So I need to stay in Chicago. I feel like kids are, are school age now. And the dynamic of that was, and what I learned from it is um, by talking to people like Darnell Martin saying, Darnell, you know, he moved on to another position. Um, and you, you know, you gotta manage your bosses, their expectations. So five different bosses in seven years, along with, you have a group of people that you're leading. Yeah. You got to stay close to those people. So here's a funny example. I stole this idea from Gil Miner, who was the owner, founder of Owens & Miner. Hmm. Um, he, I heard his, his business card was unique. I, I saw it on a show, walked up, introduced myself, and I said, it's very nice to meet you. And, and I said, can I have one of your business cards? And she said, of course, Mike. Yeah, I mean, just as nice as can be. And I looked at his card I, and I heard, the, wh- wh- I wanted to prove it. His title was Coach, C-O-A-C-H, Coach, the founder of Owens & Minor, which makes absolute sense. Yeah. He said, I heard you had, your title was Coach. Tell me about it. And we stood there for 20 minutes and he explained, this is why I'm doing this. Well, I went and made my own business cards at, at Baxter. I put teammate on it. That was my business card. I walked around the office, you know, try to be as humble as possible. Handy, hi, do you have my business card? And people are rolling their eyes. And they look at the card and they go, teammate? So, guys, we need to become a team here because we don't become a team, we're gonna fail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'd ask like, that's weird, but interesting. You know, you give them the card, you're like, oh God, and they, okay, he's, he wants me to know his title. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I want you to know my title. And th- that took an edge off of all the change that people were going through. And again, managing by walking around, listening to people, and they're saying, giving me ideas and thoughts. And did I, did I take action on all of them? No. But did I take that into consideration when my, my team and I, the senior folks, were, were saying, uh, hey, we're not making our numbers. What do we got to do? You got to cut. You got to cut costs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, the, the people, meaning on the front line, sales team members, customer service, truck drivers, distribution employees, they they provide lots of great insight to what's wrong with the company and have solutions. So, you know, l- learning from these senior folks like I did and, and facing these tough times, I always, you know, I'll say associated, probably I'll say better with um, the folks on the front line than I did with the senior leadership of these big big corporations. Interesting. Um, I just think that's and that's just me. You know, my dad grew up running a truck line as well, and I was working down there breaking up pallets when I was like ten years old, and I hung around the guys on the on the on the distribution floor, as did my dad. So I'm sure you know he, you know, God rest his soul. He, He's
0: guided me through a lot of these, not knowing he's even done that. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I think a lot of people appreciated that. I, I remember that at our time at uh, at Patterson's Less Performance Health, and that kind of goes into y- your your leadership style. And you you've mentioned that you know you're a servant you're a servant leader, and some components of that. But but could you just maybe go into that in a little bit more detail? On really what that what that kind of means to you
1: yeah uh, yeah um, I, I, I actually my first ever post on LinkedIn I think two months ago I just said yeah I gotta learn this I'm gonna start doing this. <laughs> it was about servant leadership I was talking to my nephew out in California he was wanted me to mentor him and I think he did gave me more mentoring than than I gave him um, I, I, I I watched the the leaders of American Hospital Supply. I mean, I watched my dad, you know, and I won't go into details, but I watched he was a business executive. He was like the number 2 guy in Orshlin Brothers Truck Line. Mm-hmm. While well, we were at the we were at the terminal every Saturday morning and they, he had conference calls and then he put his work clothes on and he, he picked up the trash. He, so did I. Around the dock, put it on a trailer and took it to the dump. Now it was fun for a kid, to, you know, and his friends to go do. But it was work. And I just always I, I, as I grew up, grew up and grew older, it just said to me that, that there's something about that <laughs> when the boss, quote unquote, is out picking up all the trash that his team, you know, tried to get in the trash uh, trailer, but missed on Saturday, drove the truck and trailer to the dump, emptied the trailer, went home on a Saturday. He worked six days a week and took Sunday off. So there was my first in, inspiration, okay. and then re, you know books from people that you know that I. I um, uh, what's his name? Everett Souter wrote a book called "The uh, Unnatural Act of Management," and I was in Atlanta, Georgia, in the in the early '90s. Read this book, and the the summary of the book is that. Um, when a great leader's work is done, quote, unquote, the people say we did it ourselves. So to me, it said, you know, if you can motivate your team and, and be a team and then give all the credit to the folks who do all the work, uh, I just think that that's just how I follow things. I, I have that book. It's upstairs on my second floor right now on a bookshelf. Um, I've always loved that saying, when a great leader's work is done, the people say we did it ourselves. Um, I, I made a new friend when I moved to Florida and was working with a company down in Miami. He's a was a consultant for the company. He lives about 20 minutes from me here in Tampa, and we got together for coffee and have become friends. He's a, a retired uh, major general from the U.S. Marine Corps with four combat missions under his belt. Um, he, he wrote a book about leadership, and he sent, sent, gave me the book. we had coffee, gave me the book, he autographed it. So I read it and i then you know, I took a flight to California and almost finished the book what one of the key things I took away from it was I won't go into the details but they, he was in to meet he and his troops 2,000 or 2500 with other officers he and you know American marine officers that were working or were, were, were having a collaboration with one of the Middle East countries same group of people well they put the food out for everybody and and uh, uh, the Marines basically tell the troops you eat first to make sure the troops have enough food because basically it's saying that the officers are not important as important as the troops. And I loved that when he told me that. Now the other country, I won't say which country it was, get by the book. <laughs> His name <laughs> is Greg Sturdivant, um, but the the officers from the from the other country Eight first, And it just shows, you know, and I'm very proud to have a friend who's a retired major general, um, and he's just a humble guy and was one of the best leaders probably the Marines Marines have ever had. So it it just, those kind of things have motivated me throughout my career. And I I find myself um, engaging with folks like Greg. um, And and it's, I guess, because I I, I put that out there, He, he puts it out there, and the universe says, you guys need to get together. So we, we are friends. We're, we're going to have dinner with our spouses here. We couldn't because of COVID and we're going to do it this summer. So, you know, th- this is the kind of stuff I, I get so dang
0: lucky and associated with and, and learn every day. It's one of the things I love to do. Great. No, that, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. You give a lot of credit to people you have brought in to your organizations, your your team members, and so forth. And when you were looking to build a team, what type of qualities were you looking for in these people when you were building out any team, whether it be your executive sales team or or whatever? Maybe just talk a little bit about that. Sure. So the the
1: um, I mean, there's basic technical st- skills in certain roles, like CFOs. You really sometimes. Especially larger type companies like we had at Patterson, you want somebody who has a CPA. So those are technical skills, but the, the, those are hard skills. You know, a, a, somebody who knows distribution logistics. But the the other side, which I think is just as important, if not more important, is it's the soft skills. It's it's their leadership, their humility, humility uh, the confidence that they have, but they're not overconfident. Um, you know the the narcissistic or arrogant, um, and, and I, I also try to find people who, who complement my skills that I believe that I have and I continue to work on. Um, I, I just it, I think you have to build a team that complements each other, um, whether it's communication, whether it's style. Um, but I, you know I, I'm I'm not um, I don't uh, appreciate or respect arrogant leadership because then it's as one of my old vice presidents of human resources said enough about me what do you think about me <laughs> I, I don't i don't that's not what i want that's not I, I don't want i want someone to say guys you know my team is telling me this mike well oh god what are we going to do How, what do you think we should do sean or mike agliata or and these people are it, it makes it, it does. I'm not going to lie to you. It makes it more attractive to the people that want to be led by a leader who has humility, has confidence, knows what he knows how to do, uh, but doesn't throw it out on people. And that's just that that's not what I've ever done. And, and because I learned from the people who didn't do that, <laughs> you know, so I, I stole from these leaders in, in, over my career and I, I, I started that way and grew that way. and I'm not going to change. So I think that the dynamic is you got to find people who can complement the skills that you have, uh, but the style component, the cultural component has to be compatible. Otherwise, it, it will not work. Um, and I've been lucky to be able to hire some really talented people over the years, because I guarantee you, I'm not the one getting stuff done. They are. They're the ones who deserve all the credit.
0: Now, that's great. That's great we've talked about the changes i think we talked at length our our last conversation about the changes that we're seeing in sales and and sales management you've been around a lot longer than than i have so why don't you give us a little snapshot of what you've seen as you know what what has evolved or what's sure from sure. what what you okay. once knew yeah so you're saying i'm old wait a minute
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm glad to be where I'm at. I'm very lucky to be where I'm at. So, you know what? Sales and sales management has changed dramatically. Um, When I got into healthcare distribution, American, uh, it was the wild west. Big commissions, straight commissions, whether you were a manufacturer rep, distributor rep, um, you know, it it just, this is back to the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s, it began to change, Yeah. it took took some time but the, the um the dynamics i think is that it was so uh, very autonomous uh, and it's become much more restricted which I, I i i don't like but i recognize the need for some um, more management oversight than has been in the past um Back then it was, you could just let the, the and they were straight commission. So if they didn't make any money. They quit. And then the ones that, that could sell were making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars back in the, in the eighties, which is a lot of money back then.
0: There were, there were actually quite a few oh independent yeah. reps. I remember. And during my tenure, they were pretty much gone, but it was a big thing at one point. Oh gosh.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, I was a sales manager in Columbus, Ohio in 1983, making 34500 five, something like that. Mm -hmm. The the, the reps I was managing were making well over $200,000 a year, (laughs) and they were my father's age, maybe a little bit younger. But, you know, they were experienced, talented, fantastic sales rep, really business executives. That's what they were. Um, But, you know, it changed, and I'll tell you what I think, I might be wrong, but um, the, the dynamic has been uh, profitability. Yeah. In, the, the, in, in 1983, so I was two years into my career, the government passed the Tax Equity Fiscal Re- Responsibility Act in 1983, which was capitation of payments that took years, so call it 15 or, or longer years to begin to impact the industry. Um, and it never was fully uh, executed. Obamacare or call it the you want to call it was the next evolution of that. Yeah. What happened was with that capitation, the hospitals and health systems very small back then had to change yeah. the way they looked at things because before that it, it didn't matter how much hospitals paid for the products that they got. So, uh, um, exam gloves or, or, or suture when they build, insurance companies and the government they they did it on a cost plus basis so think of the math of that the higher the price they paid the more reimbursement they got so in fact when i was in sales i was trying to save hospitals money and they said mike you don't get it we don't want to save money we want a great product that even costs more and i just i was you know so i wasn't very good in sales put that wow <laughs> you, know, you say that the people who are who are not good in sales are good at management, <laughs> supposedly at least. But this profitability and the, and the pressure that that our customers have have taken on and continued. I mean, 1983 is 40 years ago, <laughs> you know, 38 years ago, and they've been dealing with that even though Obamacare it's just a
0: continue, continuation of it. I'm um, sure this has led to more RFPs and oh yes, that and, type of stuff. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, think about it,
1: if we're honest with each other, that the dynamic has been the outside sales force is um, is more costly than other channels that have come out over the years. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, part I think part of things we're, we'll talk about a little little bit is how do we how do we become even more relevant? I, I believe deeply at sales organization, you know, Patterson. Medical had a, you know, we, we kind of went to the market after some changes with, you know, 130 plus sales representatives and they were the best of the best that that we had that some, some folks didn't make that cut, but, um, and we relied on the sales force. Now, did we give direction? Sure. Did we align incentives? Yeah. Um, did we change compensation? Yes. Um, and and basically said, guys, I'm paid, Mike's paid to, to grow the business. And the old comp plan is not does not give you the incentive to do that. Mm-hmm. We're going to align our incentives, so we're in this together. We can stack hands. People in this necessarily like that, but guess what? Some people did because they knew that they could grow and they could make a lot more money, and they did. And I think those those are the kind of things that companies have to do. And I won't get too philosophical on on us, Paul, but I think that's that's a change that we have to go back to, um, you know, back to the future. Um, is you know let's align incentives. Let's let's allow people to make decisions and hold them accountable. And guess what? People will make good decisions and they'll drive growth and they'll make more money. And so will the CEO and so will the, the shareholders. We just need a little bit more of that. Let let people be owners again, like they were back in the '70s and '80s. The sales force of American hospitals. Why they owned their business and and they managed it like they owned it. I mean, it's almost a franchise.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like that that's a kind of kind of one approach that you or one way that you kind of addressed some of these challenges um, which was kind of aligning the the sales force or aligning the sales force with the the goals of the of the company overall are, are there is there anything else that you'd want to share on how you address these types of these types of changes in any of the companies that, that you led uh, also as it appears to you know maybe motivation or, or the sales management team?
1: Sure. So I you know I think the the exciting again is I I'm one of my five top strengths at least strengths finders a, a tool that I've used in the past says my top five strengths are and I have it here on my desk at home. Competition, of course, achiever, relater. That was why I was wasn't as good at sales but I'm okay with with other things. Belief, I'm very strong with my beliefs and values and and I, do, I won't breach them. And the last one is learner. I love to learn. So as a part of the, of the experiences I've had, um, I learned a, a process on, on how to do an, do an analysis on a business that is struggling to grow, whether whether it's organically or, or you know, they have too high a cost or what have you. So um, I've kind of developed a process that looks at the market and the customer and competition. And as well, internal dynamics of where a company is today. So, as I walked into Patterson Medical, I was working with my team that was there in place then. And we pulled information together that was more fact based than anecdotes. You know, to say, hey, Paul, how big is your market? He's like 25 billion. Where'd you get that? Come on, dude. Well, show me the facts behind that. Okay, it's only a billion and a half. What's good? Because you've got (laughs) two million in business, you can grow in a billion and a half too. Yeah. And, you know, people don't want to deal with the facts because it, it, they're the facts. Yeah. And I learned how to build, not only build, but, but execute strategies based upon the facts um, and, and literally pulling information. And I believe that working on the internal side of this is just as important as competition and customer because there's a lot of things that, that you can information you can get from your internal team. That might be anecdote, but there's a little fact to all to all anecdote. Um, I think that there's just, that, that's just it's an opportunity to really go go out and ask the question of the people on the front line as well as the senior leaders to make sure that you can figure out where you need to go next if you if we're going to be successful and grow. And this information pr- provides so you, you think in terms of of understanding what's happening with those four constituents. And you, you look at different alternatives, look at the financials, and and really align the, the incentives and the, and the uh, I'll say, objectives, but the strategies and the objectives, align them around what's going to serve the customer best. How is it going to engage your team and yourself the best? How is it going to align reward and recognition, as well as um, consequences? <laughs> because you have to set very clear objectives for, for folks, including myself, and understand. I have to understand if I achieve these goals, here's the reward I get. If I don't achieve those, these goals, here are the consequences, Mike, which, you know, go back to Patterson Medical, um, I you know, if, if I had a vote for the board of directors, I would have said, hey, we had an awful year, it was tough. We need to make a change. I, I'm, I'm mature enough to say, I, I knew it was coming and I and I would have voted me out, too, because that's what you got <laughs> mm-hmm. is to do is to make the right change. Now, did I think it was the right change? No, but I, wanted to, I would hold myself accountable to it. And I think that that's when it, if it lines up, if the re- rewards, recognition, accountabilities line up up and down the organization at every level, you can't help but win. And and that's been a model that I've used for 15 plus years now, and it's worked every time. And I I, and I'm going to continue to use it into into the future.
0: And this seems like this is obviously a big. This type of thought process and this this strategy is is a big part of you know what you're doing now at with the fact strat and so forth. Yep, absolutely. Okay.
1: Yep. Yeah. That that's at the core after 40 years of being in this business, in this industry in distribution, med device distribution, manufacturing. Um, and you kind of go, okay, uh, do I go back in to CEO of a private equity backed company or you know division of a public company? It's It, it came to the point, honestly, um, my wife and I talked a long time about it and just said, Mike, you've been, and I've said this, and she said, my wife's really honest with me, which I don't like all the time. Maybe some people can relate to that on on our podcast. (laughs) But, you know, she said, you you have been psychologically and emotionally committed, for sure, to our family, to our friends, um, to your colleagues, but you haven't always been physically committed to them. And it's the truth. You know when, when you you do these you do these jobs. You know Patterson, uh, Phonak. You know you. Uh, the, I loved those jobs. I love. I think Patterson was my favorite job of all because of the people in the in the industry we were in. Yeah, but it was It was
0: great, it was great, great industry. Great yeah, industry.
1: It, was, and it and it was a lot of hours. Um, you think of a Mike Kaufman at Cardinal. Uh, he's I think he's unbelievable leader. He's he's so talented that his job, pardon my language, and you might delete this, but it <laughs> sucks. His job sucks. It's awful. He doesn't have a life. He'll claim he does. He doesn't. Um, I know Mike well enough. And, and yes, does he spend time with his family? Yes, but he has so many people pulling on him, boards, the government, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, does he make a ton of money? Yeah. Um, and I made the decision. My wife and I did, but really me. I said I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be in an operating role. Uh, I think I can be a coach, like like Gil Minor. I think I, I, my title can be coach. I can help others um, lead businesses, help them turn businesses from underperforming to high performing, and also help coach them to be able to to you know, have time to do other things that they love to do. It's just really hard these days. I don't know that I'll be able to do that second part. I have three grown kids. They're all professionals. They struggle with how hard they work. Yeah. They're hard workers. So I, I, I share this with you because I think that people that listen to this podcast and go, yeah, Mike, I think you're right. but then we have to change that. I, I don't know how we have to change it. Somehow we have to change the environment in America, but American business um, post-pandemic and um, not for for me to use my little consulting f- company more, <laughs> let's make a difference. How do, how do we change this world? Because I had very little time with my family for the last 10 years.
0: And yeah, that, that's, that's really hard, you know, Mike, and I'm sorry, for that, but that, that's really yeah. hard. And there's, there's, I've read about things like the great resignation that the pandemic has made a lot of people realize that Hey, listen! I've got to be on this earth to do something else too, but I also think, and and for me, I think as whether you have your own business or whether you're working for someone, you really have to adjust your mindset, and you have to make you have to try to find a way to enjoy what you do. Uh, that's a really big thing, and and make a game of it, enjoy it. I'm sure your your colleague that you just <laughs> mentioned that's working. Uh, some people are just wire differently that's working all these times he may love it it's not a game to him i mean elon musk admitted he works 22 hours a, a, a day sometimes and it's a game to him he loves it but it, that's not not everyone's like elon musk and if you have a family right you had a family to be with them <laughs> you know it's not that's the then or else what was the point so i i understand where you're co- you're coming from so Good. Okay. interesting you know you mentioned something this is something that i've been diving deeper into, because I've had the experience twice so far, that's working with private equity. Yep. Uh, it, it's it's actually a topic that I'm very p- passionate about because I want to educate more salespeople about what you, is in store, what you can expect when you either join an organization that is has private equity involved or where private equity takes over. And I wanted to see if you can give us a little snapshot of what that world is like from, from your, at your level. Sure. Um,
1: it, it's a, it's here to stay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, it is everywhere. Uh, and, and healthcare it is big. So the, it's been, they've been very successful. I respect the, the private equity, the people at the private equity firm, most of them. Not all, but most of them, um, they're good human beings. They are. They, it's just a very different model than traditional business. And, and that's probably okay. Um, I, I think some are extreme and, and some are, are less extreme. And I would prefer the less extreme, but I don't know how you define that. Um, but I, I think if you think about what private equity, private equity, uh, they have they have a customer too it's just not the same customer as as what we would as operators uh, what whatever position you play CEO sales manager sales rep uh, their customer is a group of investors they call limited partners that are high net worth individuals and in companies businesses funds plans and Private equity does a fabulous job of serving their customers. Um, In in some cases, I I see other companies that don't serve their customers nearly as well as what private equity does. Because they they make big commitments of returns on investment that are guaranteed, so they have to get a return. Otherwise, the, the investors will go invest somewhere else, which just like if we don't do a good job servicing our customers, Paul, they go buy their physical therapy products from somebody else. Um, they leverage debt, which is a an amazing financial engineering that I didn't like. <laughs> it puts a lot of pressure on near term results uh, and, and obviously results over over you know a five year period roughly. So I think if you go into if you're just looking at going to work at a private equity firm, uh, a company that's backed by a private equity firm, just understand that the, the customers are, di- are different than the customers that we would be focused on. There is a window, uh, let's just call it five years-ish, somewhere between three and seven years, where um, they will go through a cycle that is something like this. Um, they, buy, they buy a company, um, they invest in the company based upon the strategy and the leadership, so which allows for a slight downturn in performance. With a, I'll say a quick and, and, and deliberate and re, uh, replicable or uh, repeatable recovery that shows a consistent movement of, of revenue and operating earnings that goes up up into the northeast of a graph. Yep. <laughs> Basically says, you can, you, we're going to buy you. We're going to put some money into it. We're going to put your money into it, your earnings. So it'll be a dip in your earnings, and then it's going to reverse pretty quickly and go, Uh, grow faster and faster, both EBITDA earnings, meaning and and revenue, and then they'll get three times their money. At least they target three times. Mm -hmm. That's a huge return on on an IRR basis. So um, the other dynamic that I think you have to, if you can ask questions, one of my board members, a a fabulous leader, um, who's a hospital administrator, CEO, in Chicago she's an amazing human being she said to me the best kind of board members are those that have their noses in and their hands out <laughs> and I went oh my god that's a great setting yeah. she said, Mike, I will I will never have my hands in for you my nose is in my hands are off okay um and you know you can ask questions of the leadership hey how's the relationship with, with the board how's the senior leadership's relationship with the board and how's how's the board meeting the private equity firm, um, but it's it's a different model. It's a very successful model, and it's a matter of of um, you know the different styles of different companies. My private equity firm, you know, has done extremely well in healthcare and, and in other parts of of, uh, of industry. Um, not always like the, the outcomes from a management team standpoint or from a culture standpoint, because I'm a deep believer in long term investing and building a strong culture that is built to last. There's a book that's called Built to Last. And, you know, disagree with it or or don't, um, you read the book and I became a believer and it's done pretty well for me.
0: Gotcha, no, interesting, Very, very interesting. Gave a lot of detail there, appreciate that. Now on our last conversation, this is something that I felt you know, you, you agree with this statement, and this is a statement that I actually heard somewhere else, but I completely agree with it is that right now we're in the golden age for marketers, but the dark age in sales. And in your own words, being that you have lots of experience, what does that mean? And how do you think we actually got here?
1: Um, you know, it's a great question. (laughs) It really is. And there probably is no right answer, but I'll give you my opinion. Um, I'm going to say, let's go back before COVID, because the, how it's going to be in the future is up to us. I'm just going to say it that way. Um, I'll, I'll generalize a little bit. and I'll stereotype a little bit, which I don't like to do, but I think just for brevity's sake. So we talked a little bit about that run, healthcare costs continue to go up, and yeah. it's huge pressure, not just in the United States, but across, across the world. Um, and you know what's driving all that. The, the internet has changed everything. Um, I- information, a- access to information, I mean, you can find anything on the internet. Amazon, huge. Yeah. I remember, as we prepared to sell Patterson, they asked the question, what's the answer is, is, um, is Amazon affecting or gonna or going to affect the business. And my answer was this, and I'm a little bit of a smart Alex. Sometimes I said, Are you serious? <laughs> Amazon, Amazon is gonna change everything. It will affect this business. How? I have no idea. Yep. And the big private, all the people we were, you know, trying to sell the company said, great, great answer, Mike. <laughs> okay, good. Mm-hmm. I can make something up, but it's not right. So it's true. Amazon is a game changer. Um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, outside reps are, are more expensive and less efficient, maybe not effective, but less efficient than an inside Salesforce or customer service or using the web to order products. Yeah. Um, but, but this is where I think we have to, we have to make a difference. And, and I have a son-in-law who is a SEO, SEM marketing guy for a business in St. Louis. And I didn't even know what this meant a year and a half ago, but it's making it, having a huge impact. I mean, y- people cannot get away from the advertisements that come across on their iPhones, on their websites. And so I think that, that means that, that, you know, sales leadership has to figure. So I don't have an answer, but sales leadership, meaning the sales teams, the reps, and the managers, have to figure out how they can make themselves more relevant, uh, like par- partnering with direct marketing, SEM, uh, the inside or outside sales force. We tried a lot of different things at Patterson with, you know, trying to combine the outside rep, kind of as an account manager, with the inside reps who would call on the two or 300 members of the, of the ATIs or the, or, you know, the big chains. Um, but I think part of it, what we have to do is each of us and then collectively have to kind of reach out and, and be leaders, whether you're a sales rep, account manager, a sales manager, region manager, VP of sales, whatever you are, y- you got to collaborate and say, how do we make this more effective, us more effective within the existing and future business model of the business that I'm in because we have to own it if if we don't own it then what's going to happen is going to happen and and everybody else has an influence over it besides us and I don't I don't I'm not a victim and I'm not saying you anybody on this call is but if we throw our hands up in the air and don't engage, we become victims.
0: Yeah. I got to say I have even during this pandemic when we all really had to reinvent ourselves, but this was even happening before then just on LinkedIn. I mean, there's a whole, you know, marketing cadence for salespeople or things to do. And that to, to everyone's looking to, to get everyone else's attention because, and it's getting to the point in my personal opinion where I'm seeing sales reps doing like these TikTok style videos, jumping up and down. Hey, look at yeah. me. <laughs> and I, I personally, at first I'm saying, well, what is that? How is that really different from what I was kind of trying to do, but it is really different. I, like I never went to that extreme because I was always fighting for attention, but I just feel it's so synthetic. And we, you and I, we, before this call, we were just talking about how great it is to go out and meet people yeah. and, you're really just by organizations who are restricting visits or RFP, just RFP, RFPing other, you know, vendors to death. I think it really is hurting the industry. It really is. It's a great point. So it's.
1: I, mean, well, I look at, I look at the history of sales, let's just say. Mm hmm. And what we were talking about earlier, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s and even early 2000s and and then I think it really began to rapidly change. There are still today uh, many very talented face to face, I guess I'll call it uh, sales execs that have huge uh, loyalty from their customers, huge in, in multiple industries. And I think we have to find a way to, it won't, it won't ever be like it was before, I don't think, but how do you take what you see from a few or maybe more than a few individuals and start to try to make it within your company? Hey, you know, do you have, you as individuals or me as an individual, do I have the loyalty of my customers? Well, they would say, what? how much savings would it take for you to move away from Paul Cuomo? How much savings would it take? And and I'll tell you, this has been what, four years ago. Yeah. Four or five years ago, your customers would say, I'm not buying from, it doesn't matter what Paul charges me. Yeah. I mean, it can't, can't be awful, but uh, he's valuable. He answers my calls. He picks up the phone. He answers my texts. He answers my emails. He's here. He sees me. He walks around. He sees my team. How can I trade for that? And Paul's made himself, you know, just irreplaceable.
0: Mike, you don't know 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 how much business that I brought in going to these dangerous neighborhoods where I live, where they've never saw a rep. Yep. Never saw a rep. I was dealing with... Uh, you know these uh, foreign uh, owners of these clinics of Medicaid mills, and they would drop twenty thousand dollars for table paper just because I stopped in. <laughs> yeah. It was unbelievable. And if 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 I was if it was just on LinkedIn or it just wouldn't have happened, it just or a phone call just wouldn't have happened. It, it's uh, no, it's, sure. it's amazing. The personal
1: relationships to me continue to be very very important. Yeah. And and I think there's been a turn because of the pandemic. Like yeah. you said, the, the clinicians are saying, we don't need to see it. Don't come in. And it's not for safety. It's just saying, we just don't, we're not going to spend that time anymore. I, I, I get it. But our customers will lose as well. Yeah. Maybe not short term, but in the long term, I think they will. And yeah. By not allowing reps, especially the high quality reps, the ones who are professionals, continue to invest in themselves. I don't think your companies are giving you a lot of sales training or, or leadership training or whatever kind of development. You gotta do that on your own. And, you know, that's that's what I've been doing for a couple of six months, probably. Said so I'm gonna do something really different and I need help. And guess what, those who, at least I've always learned, those who are open to help are the strongest usually (laughs) doesn't demonstrate weakness it 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 demonstrates character hey i don't know how to do this internet stuff i mean i know how to send emails Mm -hmm. but to build a website no much so i call my nephew
0: he helps me through it all i'm i'm fine with that (laughs) (laughs) i'm never the smartest guy in the room ever yeah no i mean um yeah, definitely, definitely, we're definitely are in diff, in in interesting times. And what what do you feel like sales and sales management is is really missing these days? I mean, you're you're still pretty much engaged with uh you know with organizations, but what what's your thoughts on that? So it's funny, I you know I've got buddies still at
1: Patterson and Performance Health and and from years ago, and you know we'll talk about a few things and and I'll say, well, tell me what what's your sustainable competitive advantage as a national account director or a a sales manager or sales rep you know i have friends at all levels (laughs) i'm very very lucky what's your sustainable competitive advantage and they can't articulate us if you can't articulate that right you have to think about it yeah i I know what yours is to me but that may not be all your customers you have to be able and you look it up google it what what that means um, I won't, I'm, I've got it in front of me, but I'm not going to share that because you can find yourself. Um, it, it really is important. That's what differentiates you from everybody else. And, and that's what businesses have to define as well. And it changes over time because of the evolution of Amazon and the internet and all the things we've talked about today. You got to know, and it's got to be relevant, what's your sustainable competitive advantages in whatever position you're in. And that's where I started off. I I think I think mine is driven is I know how to help companies that are underperforming get their business turned around. I don't have the answers. I I have a process that I can execute with them through them that will help them identify how they can compete and and choose to in what markets they want to choose to compete in to make them successful. And then they got to execute right? You got to hold people accountable. You got to drive execution. But um, that's a lot of fun. And I think I know I can help people. And that's what I want to do. Will I be paid to do it? Sure. But it's not about the money. I mean, that's an outcome. We're keeping we're keeping score there. I want to make a difference. I want to help Luke Massery at ScripCo. I want to help him be successful and then sit back in the shadows and smile when he gets, you know, new young newest CEO of the year award out in Chicago. Wouldn't that be cool? And for me to know that I'm I was behind him helping him and he gets the credit and he and he deserves the credit because he does all the work.
0: Yeah, that's great. And that that really leads into because now I want to talk about EQ growth solutions in, in a little bit more detail and, and really how you're and you can just kind of if you just let us know how, how do you tell how are you going to how do you plan to help companies? In, in your own words with your, your latest endeavor?
1: Yep, I, 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 my, my focus is on growth, mm-hmm. uh, growth strategy, and more more importantly, um, utilizing the process that I've learned over the years to help them build actionable strategy to and to execute on the strategies that are the highest potential for their success. That's one part of the business, two is, uh, coaching and mentoring, you know, listening to young younger leaders, which kind of ends up being, you know, early 50s, and 40s and, and 30s and, and listening to what their challenges, because likely I've faced or people I know have faced similar challenges that it can at least help them avoid making the same mistakes that I did. Um, and to me, that's that's just, you know, super. super valuable, and it's meaningful and, and fulfilling uh, to me. That, to me, that's what's, what's exciting about the, the uh, uh, business that I'm starting. The third element really touches the first two. I believe deeply in um, how important a, a companies, really the people within a company, understand the values that they represent. Uh, that the company stands behind, that the people, most importantly, stand behind, because that's what a company is. And there are flaws in in culture sometimes, and people can't see them. You when when, when a company is starting to not perform, something has gone south, sour, if you were however you want to use it, in uh, in the culture. And there's using this process, it, we can identify. Um, Most importantly, how we want to move forward with the company's culture, which will then expose what's gone wrong. Doesn't really matter what's gone wrong. What you got to do is fix it, change it into a high performing uh, place where people believe in, in the values and believe in the purpose of a company, which is, you know, basically why the company exists. It doesn't exist to make money. The outcome is making money. The purpose is why it exists. Yep. And I bet you people don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know. well, I, I, that's, that's a great answer. Really, really good answer. And are you, are you targeting a, a specific industry in, in particular? I know you mentioned, uh, med device and, and really what, what roles within that organization will, will benefit? Sure. Them.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, middle market companies. And you say, what's that mean? I'm not targeting the cardinal health, the large cap companies These are middle market companies that have, Revenue between let's just say 20 million and and 500 million. I, that that's where my sweet spot has been, from a leadership standpoint. And I know the dynamics of those companies. Um, I'm working with a smaller company than that right now. I, I had a little bit of experience the last role I played, and um, I'm seeing it play out very similarly. So there's there's things that happen in these size companies that um, you know the leadership just can't see, or the leadership is actually Doing that, they just don't know that it's unhealthy for the organization. And so uh, it's uh, not the big guys; it's the it's the manufacturers and distributors in the medical device, which covers a lot of ground. And I've all, I've also engaged with my, some of my old team members at Phonak, the hearing aid manufacturer, and um, they're helping me kind of spread the word in, in uh, hearing healthcare, which is a booming industry. And um, it, you know, it got damaged. Very, very much by the pandemic because it, it's an office-based practitioner activity. Yeah. So um, that that's where I'm focused, and you know, most importantly, to, you know, to help young leaders and their companies become high high performing, and and let them get all the success from it. And uh, Michael, you know, just let the sun set on me over the next, I don't know, 40 years. that would make me 103. It'd be awesome if I can get there. Um, but I you know, guys, look, look. We're all younger now than my dad was when he was 63. Uh, I got so much energy because I love the healthcare industries that I've worked in, and because I stopped being an operator full time, doesn't mean I think what it means is I can I can have a broader impact on more companies because I'm not, I'm not just focused on on one company doing it myself with my team. Um, so that that you know. Hey, anybody got ideas? You people, you want me to contact? I'm happy to do so, and sure. uh, I'm gonna, and I'm going to work with people I like, like Paul Cuomo. Some <laughs> <laughs> really of the people I worked with in the
0: past I don't like very much. <laughs> cool. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. We and, all know that. We all know that. We have the same thing. We touched upon it earlier on. You know the the, the concept or the strategy that you've. That you're going to employ is called fact strat. Can you obviously don't give us the secret sauce, but can you touch upon in a little bit more detail what that is about?
1: Yeah, it's it's the it's the simple thought of how, how this works is is really doing the work, and I'm not thinking saying deep market research. If you can have the time and energy, you can do that. It's just understanding facts around where, and I'm gonna do it as I would be an operator, about where our customers, where our market, our competition, and what's happening internally with our company. Those four um, fact-based insights, and then taking that information and looking at it from where our operating business model is today, uh, what what does our business model? How is it operating against those dynamics in those four elements of the insights that we get from from the facts that we drummed up? From that, basically, you can look at this and say, do an assessment. Are we positioned to participate in the right elements of the market? Um, how are we going to compete? So you you have to what you have to do in this process is ask those hard questions. Um, I don't think many people spend a lot of time thinking. Um, somebody said in the last couple of weeks, they heard this and is that it, the hardest thing to do is think, stop, just stop what you're doing and think.
0: Um, oh, I agree with that. 110%. Everyone's just chasing a number.
1: Yeah. This little company I was with this week. Uh, it They are running hard. I mean, it's a small company, you know, resource, you know, deprived. I've never been in a company that has, hasn't been resource-deprived. It, it takes discipline. It takes commitment. It takes time to invest in thinking. And, and what this, this process does is it streamlines the thinking process and it puts structure around it, where you can then come out of it and say, okay, here's what's going on. Here's, here's the dynamics of our internal uh, culture that are not helping our performance uh, from a financial standpoint. How, what do we need to change? Is it a leader? Is it the structure of the business? Is there a division that's underperforming and it's just not gonna come back? So it, it, it creates a lot of really good questions uh, that leadership uh, doesn't typically have time to, to spend you know, focusing on. What comes out of it is, is an, an executable plan that you can lay out. Here's what I'm gonna do for the next year. Here's what I'm gonna do f- from years one to three around strategies and around capabilities. It says, we don't have, the, so for example, at Patterson, we, we did this work and mm-hmm. identified that products that we manufactured and sourced were being sold in Walgreens and CVS. We needed a retail outlet in Amazon. And, and, and part of our assessment was, do we build that, invest in some guy or lady who knows how to do this? How long will that take? And the other alternative was was to buy a company that had those capabilities. We bought Performance Up, who had, has still has a really really smart e-commerce guy who knows Amazon at the back of his hand. I think when I left two years ago, there was over seven thousand products that had been added to Amazon in less than a year, huh. and we were and we were in brick and mortar, Walgreens, Walmart, you know, Target, you name it, uh, with obviously one really strong brand, BioFreeze, but we began to expand our brands into those markets. It would have taken us five years. And yes. we we went to, part of the reason we were sold is that we went to the board and said, here's our strategy. This is what we need to do. And that was not what the board wanted from from an overall company. They didn't want to play in that space. I get it. Yeah. They want to be in dental and vet, much larger businesses and, and markets where their competencies were much, much stronger. So that's one of the reasons we got sold. and. Look at what happened with Biofreeze three months ago. Sold for a billion two. Pick a yeah. number. And so that was that's Patterson Medical would have never had access to to that if we didn't buy Performance Health. And so yeah. th- th- those are the things that this little. I mean, those are some like, remarkable, <laughs> you know, things that don't always happen, but it allows you to look at the business from a fact-based standpoint and and make decisions. Um, and I want to give CEOs and general managers the opportunity to make fact based dis- decisions versus anecdote decisions because it does le- not going to go well. Their jobs are on the line every day.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, that, that's great. And I think you, you've given us some, some really good information about what your plans are, what the process is going to look like. And I wanted to wrap up by just Asking, asking you, can you give the audience just some information if they want to contact you, if they need to reach out, or they have more questions? What's what's the best way to do so?
1: Absolutely. Well, our timing is great, Paul, because a week ago, Monday, uh, my w- website was was completed and we lo- I launched it. If, if you go to EQ, so Emotional Quotient EQ, Growth G R O. WTHSolutions.com. Uh, you'll see my cell phone. You'll see my email. Uh, you'll see a website that I'm really proud of. I worked with a small small company in Saint Petersburg, Florida. They did a fabulous job. Um, so EQGrowthSolutions.com. Uh, you know, you you guys won't be able to necessarily use it, but you, you take a look at it. You want to contact me. Um, I'm happy to help anybody who's, who's, uh, on this podcast, Paul, of course, you know, we're friends. So, you know, anytime I can help you, I'll do whatever I can do. (laughs) I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on and, and, uh, asking these great questions and, and having some fun with it too.
0: All right. No, that's great. So Mike, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast. I will put the information on how to contact Mike also on the contact, on the details portion of the, of the podcast description. And uh, we'll go from there. So thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate it. And we will, we will be in touch.
1: Thanks, Paul. Thanks so much for the time. Take care. Good luck,
0: everybody.